Hello! Welcome to the podcast Real People, Real Lives, Women Immigrants of New York, a storytelling project from New Women New Yorkers. Real People, Real Lives highlights a diverse picture of immigrant women living in the city. It elevates these narratives, moving beyond statistics and political rhetoric. In the summer and fall of 2020, we interviewed immigrant women from all walks of life. They were selected through an open call or contacted directly to ensure the participation of women from different backgrounds and affected by the pandemic in various ways. The participants talked about their immigrant experience within the backdrop of a year like no other, marked by the pandemic, Black Lives Matter, and the presidential election. Each story you will hear is a unique mix of determination, hope, challenges, and victories, small and big. Today, meet Shorai, a grassroots organizer from Zimbabwe. She came to the US in 2016 fleeing domestic violence. With a pending asylum case, she struggles with the decision to leave her children behind. Yet, She hangs on to the hope that one day she will fulfill her dream of reuniting with her children and pursuing a higher education degree. I came to the U.S. escaping a case of domestic violence that had uh, spread into the political arena because my ex-husband was connected to influential political uh, leaders. I ended up uh, threatened and uh, my life was in danger. The only visa that I had on my passport was a U.S. visa because I used to come here for conferences. So I just used that opportunity to escape from death threats. My children are still in Zimbabwe. They are 23, uh, 20 and 19. They have grown up whilst I was here. I had hoped they would still be remain minors whilst I was applying my for my uh, asylum, but they have grown to be adults. The two of them, I am sure they will be adults. Even all of them, I think I, I won't get to have them around here um, by the time I have my case head. I applied in 2017. Um, I'm, I'm still waiting for the hearing. I don't know as for now because what's happening is the cases that were taken in during the time that I applied for my asylum have been shelved and they are now attending to newer cases or recent cases. So we don't know, really know where this is taking us because our cases have been shelved and uh, we don't know where it's going from now, from now on. It is indeed difficult. It still is difficult, even up to now. It's not easy when you have been the only parent that they have known and uh, you get to be separated from them. And uh, you don't even know when you are going to reunite, reunite again as a family. Ask any woman in the world what's your biggest challenge in life. It will be being separated from my children who still need my guidance, who still need to see me as their parent ever since they were growing. I'm a busy person here. I have to work really hard, look after them and to take care of myself here too. 
So whenever we get time during the week, I call them on WhatsApp and we get to talk. I am their only breadwinner, so I do send them money. Even if they want to work, there are not, <laughs> no job opportunities in my country as we have here in America. So it's kind of difficult just to get a job for the young ones. In the beginning, they had hope of uh, joining me here. But with time, they began to lose all that hope. And at one time, I really felt like I had let them down by giving them information that I wasn't sure of. We just try to uh, focus on the positive. I must be honest with you, sometimes I feel hopeless. But the spirit of hope is to live. I have to hang in there until things get back to normal for our family. I feel like uh, I am more hopeful of my situation because of the change in administration. That's just what I wanted to say. I, I feel really hopeful that things are going to be okay. When we had an interview last time, I didn't know. I, I was really like, I, I, I was pessimistic. I, I didn't, I wasn't quite sure how things were going to move on for me. But for now, I can say I'm, I'm hopeful because of this new administration. I, I feel like uh, things are going to be well for me to move in the right direction for me. I thought I was experiencing uh, domestic violence because I was economic, uh, economically dependent on my husband. And you know, in the city, you have to buy almost everything. So I thought in the rural areas, there was nothing like that because people produce food in the fields. And so that's when I realized that uh, domestic was across like uh, races, across uh, ages, across any, any place in Zimbabwe, you could get domestic violence. Uh, that's when I thought of like mobilizing uh, women who were going through the same situation. Of course, it was going to be difficult because, like I said, it was treated as a bedroom issue, never talked about. It's something that was expected to be dealt with within the bedroom confines. So I called for a meeting to, for them to come as debriefing meetings, for them to open up, talk what was going on. I was prepared even to share what I had gone through as well. They came and some of them were saying, don't you tell my, my husband that I've been here. Don't you tell my family that I've been here. But this is what I'm going through. And I discovered that uh, some of them were even going through worse situations than I had gone through. Then we started campaigns. From there, we started campaigns. We, started, we got some money, started supporting our children with our school fees. And we did so many campaigns like the Zero Domestic Violence Tolerance campaign, uh, Beat a Drum, Not a Woman. And even when we started, we were called all sorts of names, homewreckers, housebreakers, marriage breakers, all those sorts of names that were meant to discourage us from moving forward and liberating women who were in domestic violence. We ended up having counseling sessions 
for some of the survivors providing school fees for their children. Because we've got to understand that where there is a struggling woman or where there is domestic violence, there is a child involved. So we did some projects that helped to empower them because we've got to understand that it was really economic dependence that was putting women in this situation. Where would I go? How would I support these children? So we tried to come up with projects that would lessen domestic violence within the marriage and even give women choices to move out if they could, instead of waiting to be statistics. Uh, domestic violence, what I really noticed is uh, you don't have a chance to talk, to, to, to say your story. You are scared to speaking out and saying out something that's in your mind. It's very important. I grew up in a farming community. My, ma- my widowed mother was a, was a peace and farmer. Uh, most of the food that she produced on, on the land that we had was for, we used it to eat. We didn't get much, uh, an extra, much extra food to sell. The uh, little that she managed to sell, she would uh, send us to school. And uh, as a last born, I was the only one who managed to go to secondary education, to do secondary education. And after that, I couldn't go further. So I had always told myself one day I should attain a degree. Uh, And I was a very bright student in school. So I had always hoped to attain a degree. When I came here, I told myself the first thing I'm going to do is to upgrade myself professionally. Yes, I had the skills, I had the knowledge uh, and uh, the, the, the experience to organize communities but I didn't have the professional qualification. So I told myself, this is what I am going to do. I am going to upgrade myself professionally. But when I got here, of course, I found out that I was even struggling to uh, feed myself, find myself accommodation. Life was not as rosy as I thought it was. I can't afford it financially. I'm working in a not-for-profit organization as an admin assistant. Well, I used to work with this organization when I was back home, uh, when I was heading my organization for survivors of, of domestic violence. Yes, I'm working, I'm earning a living for myself and for my children, but I still haven't um, attained the professional degree that I have always, always hoped one day I would get because my widowed mother couldn't afford it, not because she was lazy and didn't value education, but she just couldn't raise enough money to send me to university. I no longer feel vulnerable or threatened with death. I feel supported in my day-to-day life, and uh, this is being achieved through individuals who come to support me, organizations from the government. You have such excellent support systems from the government here. 
So it's very different from how I used to feel back home. It's not easy being a woman in my country. We are still fighting very hard to be relevant. It's much, much better being a woman here than in my country. Uh, oh, here, I must be honest, I no longer walk or go to bed uh, fearing for my life. I feel respected and equal to my male counterparts. I do not have to dress in a certain way to feel confident or accepted. I do not feel fearful for expressing my views or claiming my rights. I feel protected by the laws of the land. This has raised my self-esteem in a way. I, I, I feel I have finally gained the liberty to be myself. I must admit it wasn't easy. Uh, you come here expecting to start life there and there. Then you discover that in a way you are going to be a charity case for a certain period of time. I had no work authorization, so I had to rely on support from friends to survive. Even when I managed to get the um, work authorization, the only job that was easy for me to get was a low-paying job. Um, I, I had to go back to being a caregiver when in my country I was a national organizer for caregivers. So it really takes a lot of going back to the ground, starting from humble beginnings, and really like get to acknowledge that life is to, to, is to start all over again in a new setting. I do feel like my color says a lot in terms of the type of attention that I'm given. I, I've always even told my children today, uh, you should be happy to be in a place where you don't feel your color is saying something. Whenever I walk out, I can tell that I am very, very aware of the fact that I'm black. And uh, in, when you are in your country, you, you don't even stop to think about that. You are just a human being. But here I'm, I'm every time remain, reminded of the fact that I'm black, either by the way that I'm treated or just it's just intuitive. You just feel it. Because I was struggling between whether I had made the right choice to leave my children uh, or whether I should just have stayed and they should have seen me being killed and at least get to appreciate me as a mom who stood for them. That alone really took time to get away to get out of my brain because I was asking myself whether I had made the right right decision because all along I had fought to be with my children and even uh, almost uh, got killed in a marriage that was violent and I was telling myself I'm staying in this marriage because I want to protect my children. I'm doing this for my children. I want them to grow with a father and mother. And uh, finally, I had to go into hiding from my abusive ex-husband. And I, I went with my children. 
So this time I had done the opposite. I I ran away with my life, yes, but I left uh, the family that has always always given me the hope. But in terms of uh, support network, I must admit I was really supported by the many friends that I had, I had known here through my work as a community leader back home. But the resilience that I have within me has helped them to look at their lives in a different way. Sometimes people forget how privileged they are to be born in America and choose to concentrate more on the negative side of life. So I really think I have uh, helped uh, people look at life in a different way to see that you can be resilient and no matter how hard life is, you still can live and look at the future and hope for a brighter future. Uh, I don't think any person should be given a choice to choose between their original home and the country that they sought refugee. But I would want to say, for me now, home is America, and I hope they will get to take me as a citizen too, because I don't ever see myself going back to Zimbabwe. Home is America for me. And I hope it will be home for my children as well. Do not let the current setbacks and hardships you are facing as a newcomer here kill your determination to rewrite your story and attain self-freedom and independence. You have made it this far, your dream will one day come true. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast today. This week's episode was produced by Ariel Kandel and Bruno Shapira. Editing is by Anna Semskova. My name is Daniela Golombeski, and I am thrilled to host this podcast. For more information about real people, real lives, and the full transcript of this episode, head to nywomenimmigrants.org. Next week, you'll meet Ariana, a stay-at-home mom from Mexico. The third edition of Real People, Real Lives Women Immigrants of New York is made possible in part with funding from the William Table Hillman Foundation. To get in touch, drop us a line at realpeople@nywomenimmigrants.org or record a message at anchor.fm/realpeoplerealives. See you next week.